Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. When I was in the seventh grade, I went to Chauncey Rose uh, Middle School. I'm a royal. Uh, I, if you know me, I'm a baseball guy. Like, I'm a Cubs fan, and you can feel sorry for me because I'm a Cubs fan. That's okay. I'm used to it, uh, and I need your pity because of that. Um, but I, if, if I wasn't playing baseball, especially when baseball season was over in the fall, I, I had a basketball goal in my backyard, and it was a pro, you know, our driveway probably made up about a half-court basketball goal. And uh, me and my friends, my, my best friends were Rick and Rob. They were twins, lived right directly behind me. We were out playing basketball all the time. And we got to the seventh grade and thought, you know what? Uh, we can, you know, we're pretty good. We, we should try out for the basketball team at Chauncey. We didn't know if we'd make it or not, but we, you know, we were fairly confident going in. So at tryouts, we get to tryouts, and the way the coach ran tryouts was that he just ran a full-court game. And five-on-five, five, eventually you'll get into the game. You can, you can prove yourself you know, in the game. And, and uh, I thought I was ready when I, when I, I get my turn to go into the game. Um, Purse, you're in. I, I run in. And, you know, everybody's a ball hog. Seventh grade boys are ball hogs, so you got it. You got to work to get the ball, and, and because it's only with the ball that you're going to be able to prove yourself to the coach that you're good enough to make the team. So run up and down. I don't get the ball. Finally, I get a steal, steal the ball, and it's a fast break, and no one's around me, and I'm dribbling down the court. I got to run the full length of the court, and I get. I'm like, like this is my shining moment. The coach is. I can't dunk, but the coach is going to be like, wow, Purse stole the ball, and he got this easy layup. And I get, I'm, I'm excited, I'm nervous, and I get to the free throw line, and I can hear footsteps behind me, so I launch from the free throw line. Now, if you don't know basketball, only Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron James can do that, okay? Seventh grade boys can't do that, so, uh, but I launch, and I'm in the mid, I'm in middle of the air, and I'm like, oh no, this is not going to be good. But I let the ball go, it doinks off the front of the rim, brick. Missed it, and now I'm just dejected because it looked horrible. The coach, you know, I wasn't in the game very much longer, and the coach yanked me, and I never made the team. So I guess I was ready, but uh, when the pressure was on, I, I crumbled. And when it comes to being successful, when it comes to winning at something, at anything, really, you know, that you have to be ready, and that's obvious. You want to be prepared in every way that you can because when you're put to the test, it's game on. If you're not an athlete or you hate sports, there's plenty of other uh, scenarios where you have to be prepared when the pressure heats up. So, for instance, when you're at work and your boss assigns you as the lead, uh, the lead on an important project, like, it's game on, right? Maybe you play the drums and you know of a band who lost their drummer and they call you to come and play a show to audition for the role of, of, of the new drummer. It's game on. Maybe you're an artist and you love to create things. Then an art show asks you to create a piece to submit for their gallery. There's pressure that's game on with that. Or you have a crush on a girl and you find yourself sitting next to her at church. What are you going to do? You've got to say something to her. It's game on. You know, our skills and abilities are challenged most when we're placed under pressure. Because when you're put to the test, it's game on. And not just our skills and abilities are challenged. When you're under pressure, our, our faith is tested too. When it comes to our confidence in God and who He says He is, life's most difficult circumstances create game-on moments. So today we're going to look at a part of the story from a guy out of the Old Testament named Daniel. And Daniel faced circumstances that were really 
more difficult than you, you or I have probably ever been through or really or maybe have a hard time imagining this. But in the midst of these difficult circumstances, Daniel's faith didn't just survive, it flourished. And so let's just do a random poll. If I were to ask you what your least favorite subject was in school, would it be math? How many of you would say, I did not like math, for, it was math for me? Um, it, it, it was like right when I learned to do, you know, basic math using just numbers, algebra throws letters into the mix. And uh, you have, uh, it's not just algebra one, it's algebra two, algebra three, probably new algebras that they're making up all the time. And I don't, you know, it just confused me. And um, the guy, I'm going to show you a video. The guy in this video, the, the confused one, that was me in math. There's two kids, they give them a scenario, and they record them, and then they do the, the actors, as, and they use the kids as the voiceover. It's pretty funny, but that real I mean, with algebra, that was me. I used to ask a very simple question, why do we need to know this? <laughs> or another way I'd ask, well, you know, what's the point? Because you're not going to have to add X's in real life one day. You ever get that from your kids? It's because in algebra, you learn foundational concepts that you can build on to achieve some spectacular things. For instance, we would never have gone into outer space without algebra. There would be no such thing as an iPhone without algebra. There would be no cars without algebra. So you start as a child learning basic mathematics, and as you grow older, each concept is built upon the previous one. You can't just jump into algebra 2 without an understanding of pre-algebra. Unless you're some sort of child prodigy. Your, your understanding of one concept is the result of your understanding of the previous one. And our, our faith is similar to that. 
our faith is ultimately based on one foundation, which is God's Word. If we want our faith to grow, we have to begin exploring the Scriptures. We can't just assume that our faith is going to grow if we are not diving purposely into the Bible. But have you ever felt like the Bible is a lot like a boring history book or an old black and white movie with no, no dialogue? Or maybe listening to Grandpa drone on and on about the good old days, sonny boy, let me tell you. You know, we, sometimes the Bible feels that way. Have you ever heard someone say this? You should read the Bible. It's amazing. It'll change your life. It's so exciting and alive. But when you looked at it, you immediately wondered, you know, how does a genealogy relate to me and my girlfriend? How does the story of Job help me to get better, uh, to relate better to my boss at work? And the answer is it doesn't. Like, if you're looking for an easy connection, there isn't one. And it's not because there's no connection to be made or found. It's because most of us are reading the Bible the wrong way. We read the Bible like it's a a fortune cookie. We, We open it up and hope that whatever we read will magically speak into our lives in that exact moment. And and in turn, we will be able to answer all the questions in life or it'll help us to face whatever we're facing. But that's not how it works because the Bible doesn't come alive when it's read or heard like it comes alive when it's applied. Another way you could say it is our faith grows when we apply the Bible to our lives. And the book of Daniel begins by telling the story of a young Jewish man and his, his friends who, who held on to their faith during one of the most difficult and turbulent times manage, uh, imaginable. So um, Daniel was from the kingdom of Judah, a kingdom that had been through a series of not-so-awesome kings. The kings didn't love God, they didn't take care of their people, they abused power, they caused wars, and they worshipped false gods. And then they were conquered by two of the most powerful empires on earth, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. People were scattered from their homes and their friends, and it was tragic, and it caused many people to question and even to lose their faith. Many of the people uh, from Judah were forced to go into Babylon and live as slaves, and Daniel is one of these people. He must have wondered what to make of what felt like God's absence. Would he ever see his home again? How was he supposed to keep his faith? So talk about a game-on moment for Daniel. And amazingly, what we see as we look into Daniel's story is that not only did he not lose his faith while he was in exile, he flourished. In the life of Daniel, we see that in the midst of the darkest, most hopeless times, our faith can shine bright. But we also see that Daniel didn't just have faith. Like he actively worked on and developed his faith so that it could remain strong while everything else around him crumbled. Now, the Babylonian king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, it's kind of a strange name. He decided, King Nebuchadnezzar decided to recruit an elite team of the smartest and most talented young men from Judah uh, to train and, and educate them. It was his own slave entourage. He, he was the boss and, and these young men were going to be his slaves. And these bright young men were placed into a three-year training program that included learning the Babylonian language, their culture, their literature, and, and so on. And Daniel and three of his friends were part of this select group. Now, no one knows if they were the only Jews, but they were the only ones that we know of that were trying to observe the Jewish dietary laws. And if you're not sure what Jewish dietary laws are, don't worry, it's not going to ruin your McDonald's drive through order after church. But they were deeply, these laws were deeply important to Daniel and his friends. And as we're about to see, this 
this created some major tension uh, for Daniel and, and their friends in the school. So if you're not already there, you can go ahead and flip to Daniel chapter 1. We're, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 for most of the morning. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 8. And give you guys just a second to get there. Starting in verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So where does Daniel get his standards for what to eat? There, there are probably two reasons why Daniel rejected the food that the king was offering. First, most likely the food was unclean, which meant that God had said it was off limits for him to eat. Second, most likely the food had earlier been offered in a sacrifice to idols, so eating, Daniel eating the food would be participating in the worship of other gods, of foreign gods, and as a Jewish boy... Um, Daniel would most likely have had the Torah memorized. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have had that memorized. All Jewish kids would have, that they went to school to memorize this. That's what they learned. And so in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, God commands the Israelites to refrain from eating unclean foods. And the first of the Ten Commandments to the Israelites is that they shall have no other gods before the Lord. And so for many, for many of the Jewish Boys, reading passages about what to eat and not to eat was probably on par with you as a high schooler taking your social studies book home on the weekends and reading it, right? He, he would have had to memorize passages about food over and over again. And I assume, like most teen boys, would probably think like, yeah, this is ridiculous. What are we learning this for? This passage about food, sacrifice to idols again and again. Like, what's this for? Why do we have to do this? Mom, not today, you know. And little did he know that one day... He was going to wake up and find himself in a situation where his life would intersect with something that he had read from the Bible. It was intense. There was a lot of pressure. It was game on. And Daniel applied what he had read. He, he, he built his faith on a foundation of not just reading or hearing about the Bible, but actually putting it into action. His faith grew when he applied the Bible to his life. So, a couple weeks ago, I actually taught this lesson to the middle school and high school kids over there. And just, to, you know, visual illustrations are a huge help for them. So, hey, who, who wants to volunteer? Uh, everybody wants to volunteer at that age. Most of them do. So I need six people to come up. They don't even know what they're going to do. Um, and they, I was like, okay, build a human pyramid up on the stage in, in, in front of everybody else. So the only instruction I gave you, you know, build a human pyramid. You need three on the bottom, two, and then one. And then you just stand back and let them, and let them do it. And they, they, you know, once they figure out exactly what I'm looking for, it's like, okay, you three, someone takes charge, you three on the bottom, and then the next two, and then the smallest guy goes up on the top. And they, they do it, everybody applauds, okay, go sit down. Okay, now what, why do we do that? Why, how did you guys, why did you guys put the three biggest kids on the bottom? And then the next two biggest, and then the smallest person up on top. And they're like, well, because, the, you know, you need a good foundation. You need the big, strong kids on the bottom. Because you can't, if you put the big strong kid up on top, the pyramid is going to crumble pretty easily. The, ap- the application there is just we need to build a good, strong foundation for our lives reading the scriptures. Some things you're like, what does that even mean? How am I going to use that in my real life? I don't know, but I'm going to read it anyway. So as you may imagine, Daniel got some immediate pushback from his teachers in the guards. 
but he stood by his diet. He even created his version of a 10-day food challenge. So picking up in verse 12, Daniel says, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing to eat but vegetables, uh, vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So, so what about you? What's next? Only eat vegetables? Not exactly. I, I want you guys to do what Daniel did. Begin to, to work to understand the Bible. And when it's game on, I want you to apply it. Apply it. So we're going to tackle this in three easy steps. Okay? Number one, get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a box of free Bibles back here in the back. You need to give one to a friend. It's our gift to you. Take it. It's an NIV. It's not anything fancy. If you want a really fancy one, you can go online down to the open door somewhere to get one. But the first place, you, ha- you have to have a Bible. And if you've got one, you're a, you're a third of the way there. Okay? Number two, pick a place. Pick a place uh, in your home to read your Bible, in your car when you're waiting on kids or at the train, because I get railroaded, it seems like, three times a day in Terre Haute, always waiting in traffic. Read it there. Read it on the toilet. Somewhere. Read your Bible. And then, when you pick a place to actually go and read your Bible, pick a place in your Bible to start reading. If you're, if you're not, the Bible's kind of hard to read like a normal book, so from Gen- Genesis in the beginning all the way to Revelation in the end. It can get confusing and you can get bogged down in the, in the Old Testament. If, you, if you're new to reading scriptures, I suggest going to John, the book of John. I'll read about the life of Jesus or go to the Psalms or Proverbs and just really uh, easy, applicable uh, wisdom principles to learn. Or go, into, go to Philippians and, and start there. Just start somewhere. Pick a place to read it in your home or somewhere else and then pick a place in the scriptures to read it. Number three, ask yourself questions. When you get to a verse that makes sense to you, ask questions uh, um, to help kind of steer your, your thinking on a passage. What does this passage say? Why do you think the writer wrote those words? Re- rewrite it. Put it into your own words. What does this passage say to me? How am I going to apply what I just heard or read? If you get to a verse that doesn't make sense, write it down. Talk to, to Pastor Brett. Uh, ask an elder. Talk to a small group leader. Ask somebody. You know, there may be days where the Bible seems mundane or it doesn't seem relevant to your life. But remember, you're building a foundation for your, for your life, for your faith. And one day, it's going to be game on. It'll be game on. And you'll be in a situation where the pressure is on. And it may not feel as intense as it does for Daniel. It's like a life or death situation. But your faith, your faith might be on the line. Your faith grows when you apply the Bible to your life. That's when you find yourself, like Daniel, stronger than you ever thought you could be. Okay, now we're going to switch gears and look at another thing from the life of Daniel. So build build a good foundation reading Scripture and applying it to your life. Um, When I got married... I uh, was astounded by how different it was from the movies. So, you know, two people fall in love on the big screen, and it's all butterflies and roses, whether it's a romantic comedy or an animated movie. Um, you know, there's pe- people fall in love, and it's all, it's like the honeymoon never ends, and it's roses and bluebirds flying around all, all over the place. And 
and I've noticed that although uh, I love my wife very much, we, and we have lots of fun being married, it isn't always butterflies and roses. It isn't married people. Can I get an amen? Are you guys awake out there? Okay, when, so um, this, is, again, this is just for fun. This, there's some comedians talking about married life. It's true. Women, women get mad at their husbands because of a bad dream. I've experienced this. So what, what I've noticed is that being in a relationship with each other, being in a, in a marriage often involves lots of communication, right? Lots of communication about what you need. And, and often you'll hear conversations like this in a married person's home. Babe, hey, can you 
can you make sure, you know, my laundry gets done with yours today? Or, sweetie, can you, you know, the house payment's due by the end of the week. Just make sure you get that in so you don't get a late payment. Or, honey, can you please not put the Cheeto-stained fingerprints on the new couch? Like, enough. And when you're in a relationship, there, there's just a lot of stuff that you need to communicate um, to your spouse. And yet, I have discovered that there are times when we simply need to exist with one another. We need times when we aren't asking for anything, but just enjoying life together. And I need, to, I need to spend time telling Lori how much I love her instead of just telling her what needs to be done. And, and so today as we continue to look at Daniel and, and his life, we're, we're looking at a specific area of his life, which is prayer. And, and I would say that our prayer life is very similar to my marriage. Sometimes we just need to be with God instead of just always asking him for things so we'll get that we'll get to that in a minute as i said today this is what we're going to look at in in daniel's life that that has a strong connection to us which is prayer and i said prayer and some of you checked out you just went fell asleep okay so wake back up or or maybe you thought oh i got this well i've you know i've been praying since i was a kid god is great god is cool thanks for food even at school and some of you think you've got prayer covered or maybe you hear the word prayer and thought, uh, I don't do that, Ryan, because it doesn't work. I've prayed to God to help me find the right job, and he didn't. I prayed that God would help me get a hot date, and I got a date, but the dude looked like an otter and smelled like mustard. I pray, or I prayed that my parents would stay together, and they didn't. So either prayer isn't for me, or it must be some kind of, there must be some kind of trick that I'm missing. And so... No matter your, where your current feeling is on prayer, all of us probably wondered, how do I get prayer to work for me? Or how do I get what I, what I want? And what we may discover through the life of Daniel is a game-changing secret to prayer. And so Daniel, Daniel's story, like we said, probably isn't like ours. He was a teenager whose homeland was invaded by a foreign empire. Upon invasion, he's taken captive, made servant to the king of a foreign empire. He's living in a completely different culture. He's he's understanding new rituals and and rules and and witnessing the practice of different religions. And he was at the heart of it all, and the eyes of very important people were on him. It was game on. And we said that Daniel's commitment to follow Scripture, even at risk to himself, drew the attention of the king. And so if I had to guess, that the, the king probably was keeping an eye on these young men who were in this training program. In Daniel chapter 2, we see another fascinating interaction between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. This time, the king has a dream. Have you guys ever had a crazy dream? I, I have crazy dreams all the time. Sometimes I can fly. Sometimes I fly and I can't go like more than two feet off the ground and I can just run and jump and fly. Sometimes I have to jump off of a tall building. Sometimes I'm at school and I, I'm like lost and I, I can't find my locker. And, but I, sometimes I can get to my locker, but then I can't remember my combination. And then it's like the most stressful dream in the world. I can, then I can, oh, there's my combination, but then I can't remember where my class is. Crazy dreams. Some of you guys have crazy dreams. King Nebuchadnezzar has weird dreams. He has such a strange dream that he wakes multiple people up in the middle of the, of the night, asking them what his dream means. And when you're the king, I guess it's completely normal to alert the entire country when you have had a dream. It turns out no one could interpret the dream. No one knew what it meant. The wise men of his court tried to buy time, making up all kinds of excuses, but Nebuchadnezzar wasn't having it. They say the dream is impossible to interpret. 
which just ticks the king off even more. So what does he do? He gets weirder, kind of like a Kardashian family dinner. And he issues a decree that all of his wise men are to be killed. Even the ones that aren't there, and this includes Daniel and his friends. He's in the training program to be a part of the king's court, but they're not there. They're home in bed. So can you imagine you're, you're sleeping in the middle of the night, an official knocks on your door so he can take you to your execution? I think I would have been paralyzed with fear, like, what are you doing? But not Daniel. To him, it was game on. And in, in chapter 2, we're told that Daniel speaks with wisdom and tact. Without being anxious, he just basically says, hey, can I talk to the king? Can I go see him? And again, it's probably not what you or I would have done. Clearly, the king is having an odd night, so why try to talk to the guy? You guys, it'd be like trying to talk to your child after he's had the happy gas at the dentist. Just like a little loopy, what's going on? I'm just crazy talk, everyone's going to die. And crazily enough, the king accepts Daniel's offer to come and speak with him. And so picking up in Daniel chapter 2, Verse 18, here's what Daniel asks of the king. Daniel urged them to plead. He's gone to the king, now he goes back to his friends. He he, he buys more time from the king, and he goes back to his friends, and here's what he says. Daniel urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Guys, pray. The king's given us overnight. Pray. And do you know what happens? God comes through in the middle of the night and reveals the meaning of the dream to Daniel. When your life is on the line, I cannot imagine how grateful you are for, to God for giving you that information. And I love what Daniel prays in verse 20. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This story is cool because we see Daniel demonstrate extreme faith. He knew he couldn't pull this off on his own. He knew the answers he needed weren't going to come from his own understanding. He knew that there was only one thing that he could do, which was pray. The other other thing that Daniel kind of does is he walks fearlessly into a dangerous situation. You know, if he didn't think that God was able to do what Daniel had asked him to do, I don't think he would have put his life and the life of all these other men and his friends on the line. See, Daniel has confidence, not in getting what he wants, but in, in the God that he prays to. Daniel wasn't sure how things are going to turn out. He, he asked his friends, hey, pray for God's mercy because he doesn't know how it's going to go, but he knows that God is capable, and, and that's a big deal. After God shows him the meaning of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel praises God, and it wasn't like, hey, God, thanks for doing that. Now, here's the next thing on my list, Right? Interestingly, Daniel doesn't even start the prayer with thank you. Don't don't miss this. The focus of Daniel's prayer wasn't about what he wanted God to do. It was more about who God was. The focus was on the character of God, his power, his wisdom, his authority. And then at the end of the prayer, Daniel tells God thanks for doing what he did. But we see that the focus of Daniel's prayer wasn't on the outcome itself. It was on God 
himself. And so when I read this, I want the kind of faith that Daniel has. Don't you? Like, and I believe it's possible to have this kind of faith. I don't think that I always have it yet. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, speaking of God, who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. Do you believe that about God? Are you praying big, bold prayers that only God can answer? Or are you praying Lego Duplos kind of prayers? You know what Lego Duplos, the really big, fat ones that little kids can play with and can build things and can't swallow them, right? Even an eight-year-old can figure out Legos Duplos. A prayer, this is kind of a Legos Duplos kind of prayer. God, if you, you know, help me to get to work without being stopped by a train today, I promise I'll go to church more. Or, God, help me to find a different job. My boss is driving me crazy. Or my, my personal favorite, I've got to get down on the knees for this one. God, please help the Cubs win the World Series in my lifetime. <laughs> Nothing wrong with praying a prayer like that. It, it, it really is okay, but it's kind of like driving a Ferrari 20 miles an hour. In order for us to pray big prayers, we have to have a big faith. But big faith does not mean that God is going to answer our prayers every time in the way that we want. It just means that our faith is moving. It's being stretched to believe in God more and more. Daniel makes prayer less about consuming or gaining something. Daniel takes, he takes us out of the driver's seat and instead recognizes the one who, who is really in charge. And it isn't like he's trying to impress God. He just knows how small he is in relationship to a big, powerful God. And he reminds God of that, and his faith then grows, which is what God wants for us all. So what does this mean for you? First, avoid anyone named Nebuchadnezzar. It's craziness. That shouldn't be a problem, but don't stop there. If we want to take a cue from Daniel, I think we need to begin to learn our place. When praying, maybe we need to change our approach a little bit. So here's a few suggestions. Stop, stop seeing the result that you want as the sole purpose of prayer. Ooh, stop seeing the result that you want as the sole purpose to prayer. God wants us to pray for things and even ask for things, but that is not the main point of prayer. Start to acknowledge who God is with no other motive. You know, pray when you have nothing to ask God of at all. When you taste awesome food, thank God for taste buds. When you hear music that's you just love it, thank God for his creativity. Here's another thing. Start praying like you believe, you really believe that God is able to do what you ask of him. Pray like he's able, even though he may not do what you're asking. It's a big difference. And stop making God's answers or his lack of answers the condition for your belief in him. Just because God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want doesn't mean he doesn't care about you or doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Faith is trusting in what God wants from you even if it's different from what you want for you. Faith is what is trusting in what God wants for you even if it's different from what you want for you. And so the landing, the question here is, we need to ask ourselves a, 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 a simple question. like So what is prayer? 
What is prayer? In other words, what do you see it as? Is it about getting what you want? Is it about some uh, spiritual form of you know, magic or wish granting? Or is it about connecting to God and growing in a relationship with Him? So this week, build a great foundation, taking some time to read the Scriptures, even though they may confuse you, even though you may not see the point. Take some time. Spend some time there. Our small group ministry is a great way to do that on a consistent basis. And then take some time this week to evaluate what prayer means to you and figure out maybe a way to make it more about God than getting what you want. And then start making some changes. If you build a good foundation and start to see prayer the way that Daniel did, you may be surprised. You may start to see God the way Daniel saw God. And so this morning, we're going to give you just a little bit of space. We're going to do something just a little bit different. Everybody take out your cloth that says bold on it. Just a little experiential thing that we want to try to work through with you this morning. You were given this cloth and a marker. And this morning, here's what you're going to do with that. Flip it over to the blank side. And Kyle and the band, they're just going to play some music. You can stay seated where you're at. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the, for the things in your life. And write that prayer out. Maybe there's a big, bold prayer that you've been holding out on God because you didn't think he was able to do it. Maybe it's a crazy prayer. Write that out. It's something that only God could do. What is it for you? I don't know. It's different for all of us. But in the, in the next few minutes... Maybe something will come to mind. You can write this out, take that home, punch a hole in it, hang it from your mirror, frame it, put it on the wall, keep it in your car, keep it on your nightstand. Just do something with it to remind you to pray in the way that we've talked about this morning. Pray with me. Father God, you are an amazing, awesome God. And you want to do big amazing things in our lives sometimes God that's different from how we have it pictured our life will play out but this morning we want to just trust that you are the God who answers prayers that you are a God of amazing things God even if the story plays out differently than we thought I pray that the prayers of thanksgiving are received from you this morning I pray that the the big, bold prayers, that the big ask that was written down today, God, is a prayer that you will answer. And God, even if you don't, we want to just recognize that you are still in control. You're an amazing, almighty God, worthy of our praise this morning. And we we, uh, pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.